so that's been uh, quite an exciting life of ministry and and the Lord's really really shown his presence in your life for many 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 years he's done great and mighty things and it's been a blessing to hear about that and like I've told you I've heard most of that at one time or another before but it was good to have it all put together in one spot so that we basically have the chronological history of the ministry of Pastor Bob but I have one final question for you and then I'll ask for some final thoughts from you and my question is this, and I told you, you're on the spot, you're in the hot seat right now. And this question is this, if you were granted one last sermon to preach to all Christians, one last thing that would change their lives or change their walk with Christ, what would it be? I think it would be based on Paul's statement <clears throat> that I serve Christ whether I live or, or die. If I live, I live to Christ. If I die, I die to Christ. But I know who holds my life in his hands now and in eternity. So boldly go forward and live for Christ. Because you may be called to die for him tomorrow. But have you lived for him? Has your life made any difference? Because you were his. You just went deeper with that than about 95% of the churches are going to go tomorrow morning. <laughs> yeah, most of them are afraid to ask for that kind of commitment. But the Bible demands it, really. Right. Right. If you look back through the history of the church and the fact of the persecution that's been seen throughout the church, starting all the way back from the Apostles' Day. And we don't see it in America now. I mean, there's some, but to the point where in other countries now there's people still being killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. Right. And they, they are not shying away from the fact, even if they've got knives to their throats or guns to their heads, when these assailants look right at them and say, you can either deny Christ and live, or you're going to tell us that you will die for Christ and you will die. They're telling them, you might as well pull that trigger. You might as well make that sideways swipe because I'm not gonna deny my Lord and Savior. And just the fact that at any point we could be called to die, I think has been lost in the modern day churches. And there, <clears throat> there are ways of 
dying that don't involve physical death. True. You know, there there are there are deaths to the world and the world system. There is there is a, um, in many ways I saw every time I was forced to leave a, a ministry situation that was a, a death to me. Mm-hmm. And I was called to do that because it was a death because it was a life and death situation. It was either deny Christ and goodbye. If you don't. You know, you can deny Christ and stay. Or if you deny him and stand on what you believe the word says, you believe. So it was a continual, okay, it's a life and death situation. And I'm gonna, I'm not going to take the way that provides the what you call life. Right. But rather, you know, do what I have to do, which was another form of, of dying. Like life and death of the soul mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. at every turn, but the, but there's no way I was ever going to deny him. Be in, in order to stay in, in in comfort. In order to stay in the good graces of man, deny Christ. No. No, because if I denied him, that was the real death. That would be death of my faith. Right. And I wouldn't do that. You got to stand upon the rock. Amen. Is there anything in your ministry that's that stuck out? Like any type of uh, works of the Spirit? Any type of mini revivals that happened? Uh, anything like oh, that? Oh, there were, there were things along the way. Um, I remember my very, very first, very first situation. <clears throat> where I was well, out with the youth group camping for a weekend retreat. Mm -hmm. And the kids had brought along bicycles. And, and uh, I was, was called upon as an emergency situation to go pick up a girl and bring her back physically, pick her up. She'd been riding down a hill, had her had gotten out of control. Her bike had, had hit a tree and she had jammed her wrist very, very badly. It was in severe pain. It was really swollen. We're talking a girl who's about eight or nine. Okay. And uh, as I laid her in her bed trying to console her in the tent she was staying in, uh, I was moved to pray for her healing, and I said, "My struggled, you know, Lord. If I pray for her healing, she isn't healed, you know. Am I going to destroy her faith?" And a very strong conviction, just pray. So I did. She fell asleep as I prayed. An hour and a half later, she woke up. The swelling was gone. The rest was fine. Praise God. Um, there were other instances of similar kinds of things where, you know, I was more just calling on me to pray. Um, there were times in counseling where I was called upon to pray for someone and situations changed radically. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, the best growth that I saw ever, really, both times, was here in this area. Both churches had good growth for a while. Um, and it was all of the Lord. I felt the spirit way way back in my first in my first again in those eight churches. I remember one day I was I hadn't been there very long. I had preached maybe once or twice all the way around the whole circuit. Mm-hmm. When a man, an elderly man from the northernmost little church, came down to my office. I didn't know him. He was just a member of the one congregation. And he sat down with me in my office. I was building a bookshelf at the time. Because <laughs> there were no bookshelves. Building a bookshelf unit. Uh-huh. Eight feet tall. Out of plywood. And uh, he commenced to telling me that uh, he knew I was filled with the Spirit. And he had been praying for that for many years. That they would get someone who was. And he was just trying to be as encouraging as he could be. Over the years, he gave me a couple of old hymnals that had old, old songs from Pentecostal churches, primarily. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was very encouraging because when I first moved in there, I was told by the this the senior pastor. He says, "Well, he says that the people in the church where you're going to be living." aren't fussy at all. He says, they're so desperate, they'd be happy to have a barking dog in the in the pulpit. <laughs> now, this was the same man who... Was that supposed to make you feel better? That... I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, it's supposed to make me feel better or feel worse, feel in- inadequate, I don't know. <laughs> I struggled with that. I thought, well, maybe I'll be a little better than a barking dog. This is the same man who we stayed with him the first night when we got there because there wasn't time to drive the additional distance and move into the house. Mm-hmm. So we stayed in his house and he, we had dinner and then he trotted out a, uh, <laughs> a notebook he had. I remember this was Methodist Church. Okay. I don't know how many seminaries there were in the Methodist Church at the time. But he began to show me letters, him applying to, to seminaries and, and, and being refused by seminaries. And <laughs> I was very proud of the fact that he had applied to 12 seminaries and been refused by 12. And because of his great, great, great stick to and then accepted by the 13th. And my feeling was, you didn't get the message from the first 12. <laughs> and lo and behold, it became evident that that should have been the case because every time we would have a larger parish meeting where the representatives of Mali churches and we'd hash over for several hours, and this was always evening, hash over an, an, an issue 
that was supposed to affect the entire eight churches. And a decision would be made. He would agree to it, and the board would agree to it, and be voted on. And he'd get home, and somebody, one of the churches would hear of this decision, would call him up and complain about it. And so he would call me and tell me, no, he changed his mind. He could not make a decision and be have it questioned at all without caving in. Sad. His wife saw living in the church's house as being something she was entitled to. One night she came to the board meeting and presented a bill. They had a really nice front door that had side lights. Uh-huh. And the boys, her boys, she had three of them, had been playing catch in the house and busted out one of the side lights with the ball. And she presented a bill to them to pay for the side light that her boys had broken. With the underlying assumption that, of course, you'll pay for it because it's your house. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. And that was the attitude, is, is get, 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 get. We're going to get from you all we can, you know, because this is yours. Right. So, yeah, church situations were enough to turn it. Unless a person was, was sold out to the, to the belief that to be a pastor, you, you would have to be pleasing to the people pleasing to the denomination to the point where you could continually be promoted to a better situation, more income, more money going to your pension, more prestige. Oh, that's another thing. Oh, I absolutely hated going to either the annual conference of the United Methodist Church or the, the annual meetings of the Presbyterian churches because it was 100% parliamentarian, Robert's Rules of Order, Mm-hmm. And there would always be a large number of people who are objecting on points of order and all this and that. And, and the things they were voting on would be important, but they cared more about the fact that it was done right or not. But, but there would always be, for major social issues, there would always be a large pressure group there. Whether it was homosexuality, there would be a large block. You know, pressure everyone into voting for increasing acceptance, or it was abortion, or whatever it was, and that would be the main subject of the meeting, whether or not that would be acceptable, and to what degree those things would be. And it was all based on a vote, never had anything to do with Scripture, nothing to do with what the Lord said about that issue. It was always just what the majority wanted. Mm-hmm. And I hated those things because I, I, I took totally, totally out of place. I would try to <laughs> sit in the back of those meetings and, and be ignored. <laughs> right. And and the few times when I would raise my hand and be recognized and say something, I would just be blown out of the water by some liberal idiot who had his rationale for why he was right. It all worked out. And, and I just, you know, that's another reason I... Did not like denominations. It was totally based on what they did. And it's true today. The direction they go has nothing to do with true theology, really. It has to do with how many votes can you get. 
for or against. Uh. I learned a long time ago, truth is not decided by majority vote. No. Period. It can't be, never has been, never will be. Truth comes from the Word of God, and that's it. Amen. All truth is of God. All falsehood is from Satan. So, yep. I'm 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 glad I had the experiences I had in retrospect. They they strengthened and shapened shapened. <laughs> they sharpened my faith and they shaped my faith. Okay. They they honed me continually by going through the fire until my faith has been so tempered that it, it, it's just, it's totally inseparable from who I am 100% and and I thank the Lord for that and I know that he always knows what he's doing I don't right many times I wanted to know in advance I thought I wanted to yeah, me too. But I'm glad I didn't, in retrospect, because I would have run away. Most, a lot of those situations, I would have turned and run if I could have, without without compromising. If there was any way to run, I would have run. Right, and scriptures are filled with quite a bit of that when, yeah. when they understand what's going to be asked of them and where they're heading, they want to turn around and hide, and hide or run the other way. Uh -huh. Jump into a cave and hide out, or mm -hmm. end up in the belly of a whale. Hide underneath the tree. <laughs> right, wherever they can find to get away from God. Until the worm chews through the root of that tree. <laughs> yep, I'm not I coming mean, out because I'm naked. Doesn't matter what it is, they're gonna hide. Yep. Some of them, and and had I known, I probably would have tried to, but uh, I wasn't allowed. I was always, if you will. Forced kicking and screaming, take my stand. Knowing that, knowing that it was tough on on my family. That was always maybe the hardest part, was I didn't suffer through any of that alone. Right. You know, my sweet wife, Linda, suffered through so much of that with me, and uh, the vast majority of it. And, and my three kids suffered through it. But uh, I'm sure that that shaped who they are today, too, to some extent. Yeah, it it most certainly could not have shaped them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's I'm at the point where I'm kind of like Martin Luther at the door. You know, here I stand. I can do nothing else. Right, I was just looking that quote up. This is what it sounds like we ought to end on is that quote. When they had asked him to uh, to recant his faith. Right. Crossed your mind too, huh? Yep. Man, to me, it sticks in the back of my mind. I remember the stories. He used to tell people, because he was baptized as a, as a child, Right. And and he used to, when he he was tempted to do something that he knew was against the Lord, he would hold his hand over his head and say, Martin Luther, you have been baptized. You can't do that. 
So I guess we're going to finish on, and I'll read that quote, and we'll finish on that. And I just want to thank you for taking this time. It's, you know, it's going to be a five-part series now, but, you know, it's been four and a half hours we've been on this. I just thank you for your time to, to come and basically give a, a life's testimony of how the Lord has worked and what he's done in your life and and hopefully there's some people that are going to listen to this that are going to either have their faith rejuvenized through it maybe they're into something right now where they're thinking i don't know how i'm going to make this through or i'm going to make it through all of this and they can hear this and go you know what this is going to help it's going to help get me get through this time and i pray that's true brother Martin Luther, as he stood on trial, and I do believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I do believe that he was on trial for heresy, mm -hmm. and a guilty verdict would have, in fact, meant he was burned at the stake. Right. And what he has said in his, uh, his final defense was, unless I'm convinced by Scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of the popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me. Amen. Amen. Yep. Thanks again, Pastor Bob. I appreciate it, and hopefully everybody's going to be able to listen to this and and really get to know you and understand why I hold you in such high regard, consider you a great brother, a friend, and most of all, my pastor.